bless you. <laughs> Hi, Genesis. I just love North Central so much. Um, I love being here. I love seeing all of you. Um, sometimes I'll get asked, uh, would you ever want to go somewhere else, try something different? And I think about students at other places, and I think, no. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they're great, but I really, really love North Central students. So thank you um, for being here today. So first up, I thought I'd do a little introduction. Um, some of you might not know me as well or know uh, my family. So like you said, I'm Dr. Desiree Leibengood. I went to school here. Um, and did my undergrad in English, and then I went to St. Thomas and did my master's in English, and I just recently finished my doctorate at Bethel, thank you, in higher education leadership, um, and I did my dissertation, actually, on race ideology in Christian higher education. I'm really interested, thank you, <laughs> I'm really interested, not just interested in, invested in, committed to, guided by the Holy Spirit to um, diverse unity in the body of Christ and how that plays out on a Christian campus. And uh, so you'll hear some of that in my message today. You'll see that in my family. Wait for the cuteness. There, yeah. Um, <laughs> so those are my babies. Uh, they are... <laughs> Okay, so I'll turn around. So the little guy that I'm holding on the end, that's Corey. He's going to be two in October. The gal with the, like, mischievous grin right here, <laughs> that's Kaya. That mischievous grin is always on. Um, she's going to be three in October. <sighs> the one who is being held by her father but leaning toward me, um, I want you to note that. That's my, that's my four-year-old Kenya. Um, my husband saw this picture and I said, of course she's leaning toward you. Um, and what's special about uh, Kenya is that she and I share a birthday. Um, so thank the Lord for uh, little miracles like that. And then that big boy on the end, uh, he is my five-year-old, Keandre. Um, we adopted, my husband and I, um, uh, when, let's see, we'll start at the beginning. I have a daughter who's 22. Um, and not in this photo because you just, she doesn't live with us anymore and it's really hard to get photos with her. Uh, her name is Samantha. She came to live with us when she was 17 um, and her father passed away. And from that, my husband and I realized um, sometimes God wants to use your family in really just ways that are such a blessing, not only to you. Um, the biggest blessing of my life is being their mom, um, all five of my kids are the light of my life. And um, it's funny how God wants to use us in ways that we think we're being used in the situation, and really he uses it to change and bless us. And, um, and so I, there's nothing that I would change about this situation. Um, those years of heartache where we were trying to figure out what to do or where we had a, a broken-hearted 17-year-old girl living with us, I wouldn't change a minute of it um, because God's blessings are so much greater. And so he, he creates our families, I think, in really unique ways for that. I'll give you one more picture because they're just so cute. 
I know, I know. But they are two, three, four, and five, so pray for me, okay? Um, so, today, I want to talk about the next slide, which is, so uh, Dr. Graham asked us, what's your vision for the College of Arts and Sciences? So I'm just going to tell you that in like two minutes, and then I'm going to tell you about my sermon. Um, and that is preparing world-ready students for an unknown future. How many of you feel like the future is unknown? Yeah. Not just because you don't know what you'll do after college or, um, you know, maybe some of you are still really undecided on a major or you've decided like on an English major and then you're like, but I have no clue what I'm going to do with that, right? It doesn't have like an obvious job. Uh, maybe it's that. But really, the bigger part of our world that's unpredictable is what our world will look like in 10 years or maybe even just in two years. The way that technology changes things and changes jobs and changes how life works for us makes things really uncertain. And I think that that has been a really a, a major cause for anxiety in this generation, more than ever before. And so that's why I believe that actually the one thing we can give you is skills to make you world ready. Because even if all of a sudden the job you prepared for in college is gone and doesn't exist in the market anymore, you've got world readiness skills to pivot and to do something else because you know how to work with people well and what that takes. And so for me, one of the biggest parts about being world ready is learning how to love your neighbor. Um, I thought about, I, play, I saw that movie, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, this summer, and I loved it. Um, the Mr. Rogers movie. Has anybody seen that? It's so good. Um, <laughs> so I thought about uh, titling this, Won't You Be My Neighbor. I'll tell you why I didn't in a minute. But it, really, we could call today, Won't You Love Your Neighbor? Or, What is Your Orientation to This World? This is a question that I ask my students in my capstone English class because I think it's really significant. And one of the first things we start off with is, what is your orientation? Like, if you could imagine yourself in relationship to the world, what do you look like? Are your hands held up with fists? What do you look like? I think it's a question that we need to ask and consider. So I'm going to start with Galatians 5, 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in your love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I think that we have to start with asking, who is your neighbor? And that question, lucky for us, is one that God asked in the Bible to Jesus, and he answered it. Isn't that great? So we can figure out who our neighbor is. So if we look at uh, Luke 10, 25 through 37, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It starts off and says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. 
do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, because isn't that what we want to do, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And then we know he says, the priest was going down the road, he passed him by, right? Um, So likewise, a Levite, he passed him by. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And we know the story goes on to talk about he took care of his expenses. He took care of everything that he would need to get better. Um, And really, Jesus says, the one who showed him mercy is the one who's his neighbor, right? So go and do likewise. So my first point is that I believe your neighbor is everyone, right? Jesus shows us this. It's, it's not, um, one author put it, actually, I'll read it to you. Howard Thurman put it. In a memorable story, Jesus defined the neighbor by telling of the good Samaritan. With sure artistry and great power, he depicted what happens when a man responds directly to human need across the barriers of class, race, and condition. Every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. Neighborliness is non-spatial. It doesn't have anything to do with how close or far you are from that person. We like to define our geographic boundaries, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But as Christians, the kingdom has no geographic boundaries. Everyone is your neighbor. Thurman goes on to say, it's qualitative. Neighborliness is a verb. If we want to do DC talk, love is also a verb. Um, I know all the words to that song if you want me to. Uh, A man must love his neighbor directly, clearly, permitting no barriers between. The interesting thing to me is Luke also juxtaposes this story with the one of Mary and Martha. That comes right after. So you could also say that love one's neighbor is across... Um, divisions of race, religion, gender, and politics. It surpasses all of those things. How many of you know that in our American culture and society today, we have a lot of problems with divisions of race and gender and politics? Am I getting too real for you here? Were you just on Facebook realizing There's a lot of division based on these things. But the kingdom is for everyone. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom either. There's no hierarchy, and I hate to break this to some of you, there is no hierarchy of denomination in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is for everyone. We are a broken kingdom. The world is a broken place. We will probably, in this life, never get out of that brokenness completely. But we can seek to fulfill his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We can seek to heal the brokenness. 
One of my favorite authors is Makoto Fujimura. Uh, he's a, a Japanese-American artist who has made quite a name for himself in the art world. One of my favorite books of his is Silence and Beauty. Um, and in it, he talks about this. He talks about going to kind of an interdenominational service. And the, uh, the uh, I think it was an Episcopalian uh, minister leading communion and addressing the fact that in this service, there are many of you who, as we give communion, you will not be able to partake in it because denominationally, the vows that you've spoken won't allow you to. But please still come forward and, he said, make the symbol of the cross and we'll pray for you. Fujimura noted his Catholic um, friend, Father Paul, going forward and doing just this and being prayed for. And he talked about how to him there was nothing more symbolic than the breaking of bread being the place where we confront the brokenness of our church denominationally that he was so impressed that this, this, um, this minister leading this time didn't shy away from it. He didn't try to pretend like the differences didn't exist. He also didn't denigrate anyone for it. But he simply said, let's pray. Because we need to find ways to be unified. There are ways you can be unified even across lines of difference. I don't believe those ways exist outside of Christ. Um, and I'll get to why I believe that in a minute. So we need to think about this. We need to think about who's our neighbor, right? Our neighbor is everyone. There's brokenness. So how do we get there? How do we start treating everyone like they're our neighbor, right? What does that look like? I would give us today the picture of Jesus, um, we could call this cliched if we want to, right? We talk about the cross maybe a lot, maybe not enough. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I actually don't think the cross ever becomes cliched because it is the greatest picture that we have of how to orient ourselves to the world. And so if you're envisioning yourself today, what's your orientation? Is it hands up? Let's also think about Christ's orientation to the world, right? The vision of the cross. Hands aren't closed. Arms are wide open. Stretched out on the cross for all, not just some. We are made in the image of a reconciling God with whom we can join then in the act of reconciliation. When God makes you in his image, he gives you the ability to join with him. Right? So if he is a reconciler of us to him, he also wants us to be reconcilers one to another. And this takes sacrifice. It takes working counterculturally. That means against whatever our society is telling us might be the right way to go. Right now, the picture of that is division. Our society is saying, double down on your politics because that's how you get what you need. 
I'm here to challenge our ideas on God's economy today. Bill Tibbetts, tomorrow you can set me right on all of my economic theory. <laughs> so my next point is that I believe God's economy is not zero sum, nor about return on investment. But when we give open-handedly, we often receive a bigger return than we could imagine. So what is zero sum? Zero sum means there's a pie, there's eight slices of that pie. No matter how you dice it, there's only so much pie to go around. That's zero sum economy. God's economy is loaves and fishes. God's economy is the miracle that there's always enough. In fact, there's a surplus. If there's a surplus, so when my kids eat, they're eaters, okay? Whew, um, I have to buy everything from Costco in double. Um, and they're grabbing, right? I made a five-pound pot roast yesterday, and by the evening it was gone because they're just going to town, right? And they're trying to eat fast. And even my baby, my two-year-old, he kind of knows. He'll have his mouth full and go, more, 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 right? Like he's really nervous. I feed my kids enough, all right? <laughs> they're not like, but they're nervous, um, especially because they know if you don't eat your dinner, then you don't get dessert, so they really want to get, like, and when dessert's gone, it's gone. And usually dessert's like berries, but I've got them tricked into believing. Okay. Um, so they, they really want to get there, right? Um, my oldest, he doesn't love toys as much as he loves putting toys in bags and, like, keeping them to himself and kind of distributing them as his siblings, you know, desire to have toys and... There's something for him to gain in that, I think. But um, that's zero sum. That is, he who holds all of the wealth, all of the resources, gets to be in power. That's another key lesson. That's a different sermon. God's economy is not that way. He asks us to open our hands and hold very loosely to those things. To love our community well by being open-handed. So... That's zero sum, but I also believe it's not just about return on investment. Um, return on investment is, man, if I put this in, I better get a bigger reward back. Now, sometimes it is, right? We've got some examples of God saying, you better use your talents well. But when it comes to our wealth and what we have and what's ours, our resources, God says, give generously, um, whether or not you see a return. Because it's not about what you get back. Let me tell you, though, when we give, boy, do we get back in many ways that we could not possibly imagine. Um, one of the examples that I have of this is I call it my smile campaign. Um, a few years back, I heard a group of students. Uh, I'll just, I'll take a minute for this story. They, uh, a group of my students who were African-American after class one day talking about walking down the street at North Central and that feeling they got when a woman, usually a white woman or uh, a white person, would maybe clutch their bag a little tighter. Or you'd hear the door lock from the person driving down the street. Um, and I'd heard this before um, from African-American friends of mine that feeling. Um, but to be quite honest, I'd never heard a woman say it. And so I asked my student who was female, 
this happens to you as well? And she said, oh, yeah. And I just thought, deep down in my soul, God impressed on me, don't ever let anyone feel that way because of you. So I thought, what can I do? Well, I've got some, some barriers for me. The first is that um, I struggle with pretty severe PTSD. My mom had a stalker when, we, when I was a kid. Um, and I have secondary trauma and PTSD from that experience. So I grew up with a mother who was very afraid of the world around her, and rightfully so, because she had someone telling her constantly that he was going to harm her. So I um, have, have wrestled all my life with feeling like bad things are always going to happen to me, especially if I make eye contact with people, because that invites the bad things. So I challenged myself. I said, you're going to smile at people, even if it gets you mugged. That's what I had to tell myself. Um, and not mugged because I believed, okay, that um, smiling at a person of color would get me mugged. Mugged because I believed that smiling at anyone would get me mugged. Okay? That's my PTSD. Okay? So I started doing it. I noticed a few things. One is, I have ma had my day made by more people, um, A, who aren't connected to this campus. Folks getting off, on and off the bus, who when I smile, they smile back and say, have a great day. Man, yeah, you too, okay? Um, <laughs> I had one little elderly gentleman for a whole semester who was just, he always took a walk and I always ended up seeing him and smiling at him. And he was like maybe 78 years old and would always tell me, oh honey, you just look so beautiful today. Have a good day. And I would think, thank the Lord for you. <laughs> thank you. Um, it was great. I had to risk something, right? Which is that sometimes my, my investment is not rewarded. I have been called a few choice words. I've had things said to me I didn't quite appreciate. I'll tell you, those are maybe a handful of interactions compared to all of the good interactions that I've had. The biggest piece that I've had, particularly on our campus, is this. Someone trying to avoid my eyes at all costs. Let me tell you, North Central, if you all started looking up and risking how much this campus could change, if you started looking each other in the eyes and smiling, regardless of gender, and, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please stop believing that just because someone smiles at you, that means they want to date you. That would, all, that would help us out. It's okay. Just believe when someone smiles at you, they want to be nice to you. And share a little bit of the piece, like a little piece of the love of God with you that day. You all have to heal your own neighborly relationships on this campus before you can go out and make a difference in our neighborhood or the world beyond. Let me talk to you about how to start healing those relationships, though. I'm going to go to my next slide. I believe emotional responsibility is ours to take and that we can take emotional responsibility. 
That means that I believe you are, I am, we are responsible for our own emotional reactions. It doesn't mean that people don't hurt us. Sometimes people say things that do hurt us. But that first reaction, that's a response. What you do with it is your responsibility. If you slap back, metaphorically speaking, that's on you. That emotional responsibility is yours to take. But the beautiful piece is we are made in the image of a perfect God. So it gives us hope that we can take, we have the ability to take emotional responsibility for ourselves. Let me give you um, one tool for this. We'll go to the next slide. This is the Mood Elevator. Uh, It's by Larry Sen. You can go to moodelevator.com, not right now. Um, But Sen says, curious and interested, that's like our baseline. That's kind of where we're born. We're born curious. We're born interested in the world around us. And that every day we will travel up and down this mood elevator. You can see at the top there, there's grateful, wise and insightful, creative and innovative. But at the bottom is angry and hostile, depressed, self-righteous is down there, uh, defensive and insecure. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of anxiety and depression that's chemical, okay? or that you really, you need some mental um, uh, tools and help uh, and therapy, let me tell you, we've got great resources here. You do not have to walk mental illness alone, okay? But I'm talking about that general day in, day out feeling of depression or anxiety that we can get about things, okay? So Sen says, every day we move up and down this elevator. We will experience a range of emotions every day. But the question is, what floor do you get off on? And where do you unpack your bags? And where do you live? Where do you set up shop? Where do you make your home? Because you've always got a choice to get back on that elevator, to go to a different level. But you have to make the choice. We are responsible for our own emotional well-being and our own emotional reactions to other people. So my question for you today is, what little thing are you going to think about? What do you need to take responsibility for? Where are your bags unpacked? Do you need to pack them up? Do you need to say you're sorry to some people? Do you need to know about that person who drives you a little bit crazy Yeah, maybe they won't be my best friend, but I can still smile at them and be kind to them. I am responsible for how I treat other people. Even if I have something that feels like a barrier, like severe PTSD, I'm still responsible for getting help for that so that out of a healthier place, I can smile at people and share the love of God. As we're closing today, I want us to stand. I'd ask you to hold hands, but I know people hate that. (laughs) I want you to have in your mind that one thing you're going to take away, and you're going to try and work on and change. And we're going to pray today for God's grace in our lives to do better going forward.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a reconciler. We thank you that in your economy, there's more than enough for all of us. We thank you that you are bigger than our divisions, those man-made divisions that we have created. We thank you, God, that there is a way to heal those. And so right now, God, as these students are thinking about the thing that they're going to change, the thing that they're going to take away and say, I can do better in this today. God, that you would give them the strength to do so, but also maybe a really difficult opportunity to do so. God, that they would be challenged today to take responsibility for the choices that they're making, the ways that they're acting towards other people, God, and that this campus would so shine and radiate that the community around us would no longer say, North Central, where's that? That the community that we live in would know, if you want to get something done, you go to North Central. Because those students and those faculty and those staff, they love our community so much that the outpouring of what we create here could not be contained. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.